episode 182 of the Bevan James Isles Show, an interview with Kathleen Trotter. Radio team, welcome along to episode 182 of the Bevan James I'll Show, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of exercise so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Well, we're still in the crazy time. Uh, we are in New Zealand at least. We're in week four of lockdown. Uh, fingers crossed today we find out if we kind of take a step back. So we're in lockdown number four, grade four, and fingers crossed we go to lockdown three today. Um, but it may not be the case. It's We're living in very interesting times. That's all I have to say. Today I've got an interview with a lady by the name of Kathleen Trotter. Kathleen is a, is a top fitness professional in Canada. Um, really great story, really interesting story about her own struggles with fitness and then became a fitness professional, uh, has written two books, uh, Finding Your Fit and Your Fittest Future Self, uh, she also has a course called Kicking Ass with Compassion, uh, you're going to see pretty quickly Kathleen is somebody who A, knows the stuff, B, comes from the right place and C, just has a lot of experience in this world of fitness, so uh, I Really great interview. I really, really enjoyed talking to her because she just had some really great insights around, you know, just fitness in general for the everyday person, which is really, really great. Uh, I'm going to get into that pretty quickly, but I do want to mention uh, just a couple of things here. First of all, what are you learning from this time? Because I find this time really interesting in that um, I don't know where you are in the world. Obviously, it's a pretty global audience, but. Um, in New Zealand, our government has managed this very well. Like, I, I think New Zealand will probably go down. Now, you can't really judge right now because we're still in it, but we, our government has definitely probably been one of the best governments at, at managing this uh, kind of serious time we're in. And so, for a lot of people, their everyday life has been thrown upside down. And it's been really interesting just watching, um, you know, how some people have struggled through this, but also how some people have actually manage this really well, or maybe just realize some things about their life that they wouldn't have realized if they hadn't had this time. And, and some really couple good examples of that. Um, my mother, my mother's always been a really fit person, and she's in my running group, And uh, but she's always felt she needed other people to run with. And through this time, she's been running by herself. And one of the discoveries she's made through this time is that, hey, she actually enjoys running by herself. And it's just one of those small little lessons that she now takes forward after this time, whereas in the past she may not have gone for the run because she couldn't have a friend to go running with. Now she'll have to go, you know what? I like running by myself, and she'll have to do that. Uh, so there's what are those little insights that maybe you've learned? Uh, I think I mentioned on the last show, for me, you know, like I really felt I was getting a little bit older, with, particularly with impact exercise, but in the last month I've ran 60Ks a week um, quite comfortably, getting some of my old speeds back. You know, if you'd asked me before this time, do you think you're, you know, you could be close to what you were 10 years ago of running I would have probably said, no, my best running years are behind me. Well, it's not really the case. Now, I know these are two really physical examples, but another example I have is I've got a friend of mine who has a very high-stress job and has also been through some really, really high-stress life events in the last kind of 18 months of his life. And because of the situation, and he's actually still working, so he has to work from home, but I've noticed that he's included exercise, he's always been an exerciser, but in the last period of life, his life, exercise has fallen away and and also him and I play a lot of music together and I noticed when we, we've been catching up weekly uh, he's been getting back into exercise he's been getting back into playing music and those are just core to what he is as a person and I know before this time he was highly stressed in his career and I think in some ways this here has made him realize he needs to be doing the things that are really good for him in his life, and it's exercise, it's music, and it's actually his career, because he's realizing that what he was doing before this downtime was not necessarily the type of work he likes to do, and at this moment he's actually doing more of the type of work he likes to do. So there's just some, you know, there are, this is a crazy time, this is a scary time, this is a vulnerable time, and there's a really good podcast I want to do about this after this, I've got some really hard questions I want to ask of you guys 
after this moment. I don't think it's the right time to be asking the hard questions. So know this, there's going to be a challenging podcast coming up post this moment in time where I'm really going to challenge you to to look deep into yourself. But it's not the right time to ask those questions. But what you can gain from this time is, what is this teaching me about myself that maybe I didn't know before the fact? And it's just some really good, you know, this is an average time in most people's lives. But there can be some really good lessons to think about through it. So, you know, just have that perspective in mind because ultimately what we want to do, actually really good example. So one of my clients is a school principal and a school principal who is passionate about transforming education to make it better. Has, has always had a, had a mission in their career around taking, you know, just pushing the envelope when it comes to education. And when we were talking the other day, actually, we're having this really interesting discussion around how often comfort is is the limiter of progress. progress. And what we meant by this was that we get, we get in a level of comfort of life. And so we have a, a routine that's actually a pretty good routine. You know, you can look at your life and go, you know what, I'm, I'm managing it pretty well. And it's that good is the enemy of great things. So because you're in a comfortable place, why do you need to question what you do? And so a lot of situations where a lot of people out there have a pretty good situation that they're in, but they don't really question it and push it that hard because, hey, I'm in a pretty good situation. And then something like a pandemic happened. And now, 10 years ago in Christchurch, we had the earthquake. So 10 years ago, we went through something like a big life event where our lives got thrown upside down. And I know for me, if you looked at my life at that moment, I was in a really comfortable place. It was a pretty comfortable life. It was actually a really good life. But then the earthquake happened and my life got thrown upside down. And then in this moment, I created change that was made my life way better after the fact. And I would have never did that if the earthquakes didn't happen. And my, my client, who is a principal, was saying, they're discovering some really fascinating things. So first of all, one thing they're discovering with the children that they educate is that some of the kids who really perform poorly at school are excelling in this home teaching environment. And we won't, I won't go into too much detail of why she felt that was the case, but she said these are kids who will leave school feeling like they failed, they sucked and so on, and suddenly they are just excelling massively. And, and she's saying to me that she wants to make sure that this time isn't a lost opportunity, that maybe we can broaden how we look at education, maybe we can have ways for those kids to be successful which isn't in the model that they were doing before this moment. And that's why I think about this time as an opportunity to, to challenge yourself to see where is the opportunity for me to, especially if you are someone who's in a really comfortable life, where's the, where's the learning in this that I could take forward after this fact to make my life even a higher level than what it is right now? Because if we just go back to what it was, sure that's fine, but if we embrace this opportunity and we embrace this learning, it makes a better future for yourself and your world. So I just kind of wanted to share that with you because I felt it's kind of important. Um, there are some lessons through this time. And ultimately, I suppose the question when we get to the other side of this is how do you make sure you keep applying these lessons? Um, but that's a discussion for another day. Before I get into the interview with Kathleen, I do want to mention my patrons. And I actually have two patrons this month, but or this this fortnight. Um, and one of them may have already was already a patron before, but I realised I hadn't given them a nickname. And what a lovely person they are, because what they've done is they've actually increased their patronage um, through this time, which I really really appreciate. And it's a name man by the name of Ian Rose. Now Ian Rose is a man who's been in my running group over the years. Um, Ian is. Ian is just like this really lovely man. He he just has such like, he's you know like I always think in life, who are the type of people you want in your life? And Ian is one of these people that you want in your life because he's got a pretty great attitude. He's always so friendly and interested in other people. Um, he's just got a really good attitude and like, um, he's achieved some really cool running goals with my, with my group over the years. But but also he just like he's had some adversity with injuries because that's kind of can happen in the running journey. And he's always had a great attitude. He's always come back with 
don't know, he's just a good man. Ian, you're a good man. You really are. I always just think, Ian, he's just such a nice guy. Now, Ian Rose, whenever I see Ian, because his last name is Rose, I always call him Rice to the Top. Ian Rose to the Top. So, Ian, your nickname, you know your nickname. Yours is Ian Rise to the Top Rose. So, there you go. Um, and then we've got Emily Cagle. Now, Emily Cagle is also a, a lady who does my running group. And Emily is very... Emily is just this lovely soul. Um, the thing about Emily is she's just a real, you just get the idea that she's a really caring person. She's a school teacher. You can tell she really cares about her kids. Um, she's been quite quite um, generous in her praise to me about this podcast. She's saying how it's really helped her a lot in some of her, the things she's been working on within herself. She's achieved some really cool running goals over the last period of time. I actually saw, we're doing this running challenge right now, and this morning um, on Facebook, on our Facebook post, we've got a private group for this group, uh, she had that she's really enjoying running, and who would have thought that would have been the case? And it's just a really cool example of somebody progressing from doing something because you think you should to doing something because you actually now enjoy it. And it's an amazing place to get to within your running, Emily, so well done. Um, Emily also got her sister Laura into running, which is really great as well, so she's getting more people into movement, so just love it. Now, Emily always wears cool glasses. She wears glasses for her side, but she's always got cool glasses. So Emily... Your nickname is Emily. I've got to wear shades because it kind of means you're too cool. Cargo. So there you go. Emily, thank you. Emily and Ian, thank you so much for being patrons of the show. If you do want to be a patron of the show, go to bevanjamesoz.com. Check out Support Me or go to the podcast section, support me on there. Go through the process and you'll get a cool nickname, but also you support me in spreading the message that I believe is important around health and fitness to more people in our community. Anyway, well, let's get into the interview. Here it is right now. Radio team, I'm pretty excited to have on the show a lady by the name of Kathleen Trotter. She has published two books, Find Your Finding Your Fit, Your Fittest Future Self, are the two books. Uh, she is someone who has all the qualifications that you need under the sun to be a fitness professional, nutrition, um, personal training and so on, and just has a passion around helping people have health and exercise in their life. Welcome along to the show, Kathleen. How are you? Oh, I'm so happy to be here. It's my pleasure. I love your energy and your enthusiasm. Oh, yeah, you say all the right things. Hey, so maybe just start from scratch. Give us give us where it all started for you. I think where it started for me is not having a fit, if that makes sense. I grew up really an unhe- unhealthy, unhappy. I was overweight. I hated gym class. I would do anything. You know, I lied to get out of gym class. I snuck food. Um, I basically, I ate my way through my parents' divorce and I hated being in my own body. Um, yeah. And so fitness sort of changed my life and I, I want that for everybody. And I think that too often fitness and health is sold on this discourse of shaming. It's like, you're not good enough. You should be better, be somebody else. And I'm like, no, you don't need to be anybody else. You just want to be a fitter, healthier, more productive version of you. You want to find your fit. You want to thrive in your lane. Um, it's about empowerment and strength. It's not about belittling and you know self destruction and thinking that you're the the, the worst. Um, yeah, I don't know. So it's it's a, a powerful message. Can I can I take a step back? So your parents broke up. What age were you when your parents broke up? Okay, we're going deep. Um, so my dad, <laughs> my, my dad left when I was about three. Okay. And my mom was a single mom. And she's the most amazing human. She's actually, she's the one who helped me find my fit. But she's an actress. And um, she did a lot of theater acting. So we traveled around a lot. So I went okay. to a lot of different schools. And I just never really fit in. And the idea of being active around my peers. And I don't know, I was just always really embarrassed. I'm also six feet tall, which is lovely now. Yeah. But when you're a teenager... And all the boys have not gotten to yeah. their height. It is not so lovely, let me yeah. tell you. And I just felt really, I don't know, just like embarrassed and out of sorts. And so eventually my mom said to me, listen, Kathleen, you have to be active. Being active has to be thought of as a non-negotiable. Um, but let's find a solution that works for you. And really, her lesson is what... Um, made me inspired my fitness philosophy and that's my first book finding your fit is basically what she taught me when i was like 16 which is we find a solution that works for you mm-hmm. being active is a non-negotiable but it doesn't have to be the solution that works for all of your friends you don't have to play baseball you don't have to you know so basically she said to me we're going to get you a membership to the ymca 
And everyone at the YMCA, the demographic is sort of over kind of 45 or under five. So she's like, you're going to feel comfortable there. Because it was mostly just being around my peers I hated. Um, and so I started at the Y. And I walked for like, t- for the first couple months, all I did is went and walk on the treadmill for like 10 minutes. And I got nauseous on the treadmill because I had never been on there before. I felt dizzy. Um, and my mom just kept saying, like, you just go. You show up for yourself. And you show up little by little. Little wins will turn into bigger wins. And you know what? She was so right. She is one smart cookie. And that's what I tell all my clients. Like, you don't have to be perfect to start. You don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to get great. Like, you just have to do something, no matter how small. And then you feel better. And then, you know, my 10 minutes on the treadmill moved to 20, to 30, to 40. And then I started taking aerobics classes. And then the y, the woman who ran the Y was like, you should start teaching these classes. So I started teaching and I did spin. And and then I, I always thought I was going to be a lawyer. But then eventually I was like, why would I be a lawyer? Like, I want to do this fitness stuff, you know? So I did that. And I eventually did a master's in exercise science. And I don't know, it just sort of, it sort of snowballed in a positive way. But it all started with my mom saying, like, you don't have to be anybody other than you. Like, <laughs> in your lane. And interestingly, early on, you said the comment of, I ate my way through my parents' divorce. And so I'm kind of curious, you know, like at that time, eating was how you dealt with emotion? Wow, you're awesome. You really listen to your guests. <laughs> I like you. I think that if you were in Toronto, we'd be friends. Um, I think, you know what it is? I think it's almost more like I disassociated a little bit from life. Like, yes, I, I dealt with emotion through food. Um, but I just, I wasn't comfortable being in my own skin. And when you eat, you can sort of go somewhere else, if that makes any sense. Um, and now I'm just much better at like distinguishing if I have emotional hunger or if I have real hunger and sort of stepping back. I teach my clients, it's this idea of the power of the pause. So that none of us are our unhealthy thoughts or our cravings, but you do have to have that ability to step back and be like, do I really want this? Will this make my future self happy? And when I was growing up, I was just so, I was floundering and I just didn't have, I mean, most of us don't have that ability at like 12 or 10 or eight, you know, Mm. but I was just unhappy. I didn't have any friends and, you know, my food were kind of my friends and it was just an ability to stop thinking about the world and all the things that I was upset about. And I just was able to eat. And in that moment, the very second I was eating, I was happy, um, or at least I felt something. I don't know, or I felt nothing. I don't really know, but I, I definitely know that ultimately it didn't make myself happy. It just was a, a momentary escape from all of the, you know, vicissitudes of life, the sort of craziness and the emotions. And, and yeah. And, and so then you went on. Your mum opened you up to the idea that you need movement in your life, and she kind of helped navigate yeah. that in a really wise way. And so you kind of started. Yeah. And so what, what happened with the eating as a part of that journey? Like when when did you start to learn to have better management of that side of it? You know, I think it's just really a process. I don't think that I start, like when I started to go to the Y and walk, I mean, these are great questions. Uh, I didn't really think about the eating part of it, to be honest. I just was like, the walking is what I'm going to do. Um, but then I think the more active I became, the more I started connected to, like if I ate well, I had more energy. You know, I started to teach these aerobics classes. And if I didn't eat well, I would either feel like nauseous because I was too full or I would feel nauseous because I was not like because I was kind of dizzy because I hadn't fed myself. So I think I think it just started to be little by little. I started to um, little by little. I started to put together that how I ate was connected to how I felt and that mm-hmm. my future self would be happier. I think that that's what it was. Um it also, like, to be brutally honest, I'm just going to go real deep here. Yeah. I think it had a lot to do with therapy. I was in therapy. I started, I've been in therapy for, like, 20 years. And um, I think that she helped me with that. And I think that I vacillated. Like, I think, okay, again, this is really honesty. Is I honestly think that I went too far the other way. Like, so when I started exercising after a couple years, I liked that I had dropped weight and people started to really compliment me and be like, oh yeah, you look really good. So I went too far the other way. I I started, you know, not eating enough. Um, And, you know, if people ever see my books, I look pretty healthy. I'm like on, I'm about 100, let's say 150 pounds roughly. And um, I got down to like 110 for when I was young for a while. And it was very unhealthy, but the unhealthy the other way. And so part of my process and why I started therapy was just the finding the balance, right, of like what what is healthy versus doing it for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, looking a certain way because I thought that people would like me more if I was thinner. Yeah. Um, and so I you're chasing to learn, it for like, the wrong reason. 
Yeah, or did, I didn't do it consciously, but it was just like I had gone my entire life not being seen. Like I was so heavy, like nobody ever said to me like, oh, you're so pretty. Like they always said like, oh, you're smart or you're this. And then I started to get these compliments from everybody being like, oh, you look so great. You're like, and I guess unconsciously I was like, oh, well, maybe if I look good now, if I was even thinner, people would like mm. me even more, mm. you know? So it took a while to find my equilibrium of doing it for me, like, not for anybody else. But that takes maturity and it takes work and, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. And as I said, I've done therapy for like 20 years. I'm definitely still not perfect, but I'm better, you know, and better is all that you can be. Is there still any tie over from that time that you have to manage and how do you manage that in regards to kind of the nutrition eating side of things? Um, sorry, can you repeat the question? Is there still a kind of um, a flow over or, or a kind of a residue from that time that you still have to kind of manage and, and you know, from that time and if so how do you manage that um i would i would say absolutely i think that anybody who would tell you that those type of unhealthy thoughts completely go away um are being they're being very unrealistic they've ever they've ever never dealt with them or they're sort of disconnected from them a little bit like it's any thought process kind of softens and i can note it better like so you know I'll go on TV and I'll catch a glimpse of myself and there'll be a moment where that unhealthy Kathleen from a lot of years ago will say like, oh, you're looking too fat. And then I'll be like, wait a second, shut up. Like, you're not helpful here. Like, you're not wanted. Um, and I think we all have in some ways our inner critic and we have parts of ourselves that continue from childhood, right? Like our inner bully, our inner critic. And I have, as all we all do, I have multiple parts. So I have the person who says like, you know, screw it, just eat as much as you want. And it doesn't matter because, you know, food will be your friend. And I have the part that says like, no, starve yourself. People will like you better if you starve yourself. And then I have the Kathleen of today, which is like, no, you guys get lost. Like I realize that you were trying to protect me from something like those voices were there for a reason. And they were in some way trying to be helpful, right? Like the person who says eat as much as you want was trying to make me happy. The person who says you'll be thinner, like happier if you're thinner, like they, they were there to try to be helpful, but they just weren't. Mm -hmm. And now I'm kind of mature enough to say like, no, like, get lost. Um, so they come back less often and they're less intense and I know how to note them. Um, and I just can, I call them, that's part of my unhelpful, like negative brain propaganda. And we all have that, whether it's like the person who says like, Oh, well you did a workout. So you deserve to eat 17 cookies or the person who says, Oh, well you had one cookie. So you might as well have 75 or the person who says, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you do X, Y, or Z, no one will see you. Mm -hmm. You're alone. Like whatever that is, they're all self-sabotaging thoughts. Um, and we all have a different unique flavor of self-sabotage. And part of it is just learning to note that and step back and take the pause and be like, nope, like I can think what I want, but just because I have a thought doesn't mean I have to take an action. Like just because I think like I should eat the whole house doesn't mean I have to eat the whole house. You know, I can say like, nope, that's not going to make me my future self happy. Um, but it takes practice, 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 practice. So what you're saying there is one of your tools that really helps you is, is that kind of pause moment you talk about. And that's about having awareness of the moment, pausing to then give yourself a process to work through? Yeah, absolutely. That is exactly what I think. I, I often think of it like stepping onto the balcony and looking into the dance floor of your life. Mm -hmm. So just taking that like a, a broader perspective um, and just knowing that just because you have a thought, like a thoughts are not facts, thoughts are not acts, you know, mm -hmm. like we all have these crazy thoughts. It doesn't mean you have to act on them. It does, they're, they're coming from somewhere though, right? So if I'm feeling like, oh my God, I should eat the entire house, I can think, interesting, are you sad? Like, should you phone a friend? Um, are you tired? Like, do you need to sleep? Like, it doesn't mean you ignore the thought. You just try to understand where the emotion is coming from um, and then take a different action, right? And know that your future self will be happier if you, if you recognize the emotion and respect the emotion. Um, but take the action that will that will cause your future self to be healthier and happier and and proud. I'm all about making my future self proud. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny in this moment, isn't it? Like we live in this coronavirus moment, and it's um, it's. I want to get to the other side of this and go, man, I made the best of the most of that time. You know, and yeah. not, not necessarily just being productive, but just as in like I lived it well, um, not just you know I I because I, I imagine a lot of people are going to wake up on the other side of this 
with a cost of this time that they're going to have to work through. Um, And so how do we get to the other side of this in a way where you go, you know what, I manage this. I'm really proud of how I manage. And and to be honest with myself, one thing I've, I've, I talked to my daughter about this is make decisions now in life that you'll be glad you made 20 years from now. Um, Totally. You know, and, and it's that whole thing of, Right now, as much as it's a stressful time, I'm managing it well because I've made those decisions well in the past. So yeah. the reward is in a really stressful time, I am able to manage it well because of good choices I've made in the past, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. I, um, you know, so I just actually wrote a blog post about this on my website. Um, and what I call it is always taking the path to the right. So um, I really like Stoic philosophy. And one of the yeah. things that the Stoic philosophy sort of talks about is the that, so there's two paths in life. So if I'm, let's say I'm thinking like, oh my God, I'm so depressed about X, Y, and Z, I should just eat. And I think, okay, so the obstacle, whatever I'm depressed about is going to be there no matter what. If I take the path to the left or the path to the right, the obstacle is there. So the virus, if we're talking about coronavirus, like there's so many things that I can't control about that virus, but there are certain things that I can control, which namely is my reaction, uh, my response. So on the path to the left, the obstacle is there. Um, but I take a bunch of reactions that are not going to make my future self proud. So I eat a bunch of food. I don't exercise. I don't sleep. I get in anger. Like I get in fights with my partner, James, whatever it is. So then on the left, you have the obstacle, which is the virus or whatever the obstacle in this case that you're dealing with. And you have all of the added on the compounded stuff that you added to the obstacle. Uh, the problem is sometimes then what happens is you can't quite parse out like what you've added to the obstacle and what was just the obstacle in the first place, right? Mm. But then on the right, the path to the right is this idea of, of the obstacle is still there, um, but I'm setting myself up for success and I'm doing all the things that I know I can control. So I'm eating well, um, I'm sleeping as much as I can, I'm journaling, I'm whatever the things are that I know are going to help me get through it. Um, and Yes, the obstacle's there, but it means exactly what you just said, that when in three months or six months or whenever this is all over and we're looking back at it, uh, because we will eventually look back at this, like that is what history is made of, is a bunch of things and struggles that we all go through. Um, we will look back on it and we'll be able to, I'm going to hopefully be able to say like, as much as possible, I did the best I could and I made the best choices that I could to set myself up for future success. Mm. Uh, But that being said, like, I think we had this conversation before we started recording is that I'm also saying to myself, Kathleen, give yourself some grace and give everybody, you know, some grace because we're all doing the best we can. Like the best I can in this situation might not be the best I could in another situation or won't be right. So, you know, in this situation, maybe the best I can is some meditation and some stretching and getting to bed versus, you know, six months ago, maybe the best I could would be like a 20 K run. So it doesn't have to be the best that you could do ever it just has to be the best you can do in this moment mm-hmm. which is a different thing right like because these mo- this moment is very particular and it has the virus and so you can't get to the gym and you can't um you know but you can set up a home gym so there's lots of things that you can do to well, take the path to the right yeah and, and and have seen that ability so you don't beat yourself up because for a lot of like you know exactly. we, we you know you and i sound like we have a very similar story in that we've had that kind of place where exercise is actually not a good thing in our lives and there's many people in the fitness world who have a really unhealthy relationship with fitness and right Absolutely. now where their the kind of environments have been taken away from them, I imagine is a pretty scary time for them. You know, the real loss Absolutely, of, you yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, if it's if exercise is your only control and sanity and coping mechanism, like that's part of it is that I had to work through having more than just the ability to control my exercise and eating as my coping mechanisms. Like they are really great coping mechanisms. Um but they're great until they're not great anymore. And then, you know, then they're destructive. So it's about the balance. But that's that's what life is about, right? Like in my in my book, I call it the Kathleen sort of feedback loop. Like you you act and then you analyze that action and then you take the analysis into your future, future um, decisions. So it could also be considered just having a, a growth mindset, right? The Carol Dweck book, mm. Growth Mindset, which is just fantastic. It's like, you know, it, I, I can figure it out. It's that acting is data like everything every decision you make it's not that it's good or bad it's data for your future self and you can step back and objectively look at it and decide okay do I want to reproduce that or do I not want to reproduce it and you know if you're not very good at something in this moment it's like that's okay I'm not good at it yet like it's all just progress not perfection 
So, so, so you kind of on this self journey, you kind of found exercise. Eventually, it kind of led to good weight management or good decisions around food, and um, and then you started to become a fitness leader. So, what was that like when suddenly you started to see yourself as someone as a leader instead of being someone who's just trying to find your own journey? Um, it's a good question, but I'm not sure it's as binary as that. Like, I actually think that I figured out my own journey through the process of helping like leading others. And I think that that's one of the reasons why my clients really appreciate me as a trainer, but also why people appreciate my books. Like I'm very authentic and honest in the books. And I don't ever say that I have the one path or the one, you know, answer mostly because I actually don't think I do. Like, I think that part of the difficulty we all get it in fitness is we think that there is one answer and there's not like everybody has to find their fit and their, um, lines in the sand and what works for them and their fits going to change depending they're in their 20s their 30s their 40s like it's always going to be evolving and I think when you try to see like oh well this one fitness guru they have the perfect diet or the perfect workout you set yourself up for failure because you know you try it it doesn't work for you you're like oh well if it doesn't work for me I might as well quit or like it's an evolution and I think that's what I brought to my clients like I would you know I'm honest I'll say like I'm working on this or I'm working on that um, and through my relationships with myself as well as with them, I just continue to grow and learn and evolve, and hopefully they also grow and learn and evolve. Mm. So what, what are some of the keys you've learned to, that help people change? So I think the biggest thing is that change happens through an atmosphere, a self-atmosphere of curiosity and growth, um, and it's about learning how to positively parent yourself. So meaning... Um, you have to get out of the shame spiral. I think a lot of people think like, oh, I need to be really unproductively hard on myself. I have to like metaphorically flog myself in order to move forward. And it just, it doesn't work like that. Like you wouldn't parent your kid that way, right? Like let's take an example. A kid comes home with a math test and they have done poorly on the math test. You don't say to your kid, well, you're a freaking loser. Like why do you even ever try? Like you just like, you should just go into your room and never get out again. No, you say like, okay, interesting. Like this is data. Like, do you need a math tutor? Did you feel like your, your teacher wasn't listening to you? Do you not feel like you can speak up in class? Do you feel like, like what accommodations do we need to use? Do you need me to support you better? You know, do we need to set a schedule up for you? Um, and that's how I feel like, that's how I try to help my clients talk to themselves. So it's like, oh, interesting. I had a, a snack at three o'clock that I wasn't meaning to have, like a cookie. Okay, so did I not have enough protein and healthy fat at lunch? Did I get really stressed out during the day and therefore used emotional eating? What can I learn from this experience? In the way that, you know, talk to yourself in the way that you would talk to your child or your elderly parent or somebody you love. Like most of us talk to ourselves like we hate ourselves. So if you hate yourself and you're listening to this internal talk of like, hating yourself why would you want to change like why would you want to step up to the plate and learn and grow um whereas if you say to yourself like oh interesting curious i made a not great decision today um it's not about being like oh well who cares i'm letting you off the hook it's about saying like okay so how do i make a better decision next time right so it takes a lot of awareness it takes a lot of growth um it takes the differentiation between shame and guilt so shame is i am a bad person guilt is i i did an action i'm not happy about right so that's like for me that was a really key distinction in my own learning so if i had you know if i ate maybe i'll give you an example so i love these fudge bars these chocolate fudge bars i love them i love them i love them <laughs> i can tell <laughs> yeah can I, I love them so i would go to the supermarket and i would like you know the devil and the angel on my shoulder and the devil would say like you can just buy the fudge bars kathleen you know that's fine you'll be able to control yourself when you get home you'll just have one of them it's fine and then the other you know the angel would be like you probably shouldn't you can't control yourself with them and anyway time after time i would bring them home and then of course i would eat the entire box and i'd feel like crap and i would go down that you know belittling like shame spiral of like you know you're a fitness professional and you can't even hold yourself accountable and you're still eating these fudge bars and anyway it just was not productive mm -hmm. but eventually what I decided is interesting let's take a growth mindset with this and let's look at it as as the behavior I was like okay so first of all I need a system to set my future self up for success I obviously can't have these fudge bars in the house I don't have control over them but I do believe in giving myself, you know, mindfully eating something I love, 
once in a while, a moderate portion. That's what I call my love it rule. So what I did was I brought the fudge bars over to my mom's house and I put them in her freezer. And when I want a bar, which is, you know, once every couple months, I'll go over and we will have a lovely chat and I will have one bar because when I'm with my mom, I'm not going to have all six bars. Um, so I, I use the experiences as data and I, and I learned who I was, right? Like fudge bars are a red food for me. They're a trigger food. Like I just can't have them in the house. So I set myself up for future success. Mm. Um, and I just found that appropriate middle ground of respecting who I am and my limits, um, and expecting more of myself and knowing that I feel like crap if I eat six fudge bars in one sitting, but also knowing that I don't want to be on my deathbed being like I never had something that I loved. Mm. Um, so it's just about that finding the balance, but it didn't come from being mean to myself. It came from figuring out a solution based on all the data. One thing you seem to be good at is the ability to give yourself time to do the problem solving. Um, you know, I met there's a lot of people out there who know of tools but don't apply or don't give themselves the time to do the tools. Why do you think you're good at that and how do you help other people get good at that? That is a really great question. No one has ever asked me that. Why do I think I'm good at it? I think because I prioritize that it's a really important, or I understand that it's a really important and I don't expect me to myself to be perfect overnight. I think part of the reason why people give up on tools or don't use them is they think, well, if I you try it once and it doesn't work, then it ought, like then I'll just give it up on it. Um, and I think that people have to get their heads around that this stuff, like changing your neural pathways, changing your internal dialogue, changing anything takes time. Um, and practice and practice and then more practice. It's like getting a muscle stronger at the gym. You don't go to the gym once and do a bunch of bicep curls and then have strong biceps forever. Like it is a continual practice. Um, and then I think it's about knowing myself. Like I know when I'm able to reflect, um, and the times that work for me. So if people listening, like, you know, maybe you need to set aside 10 minutes every morning to journal, or maybe you need to set an alarm, um, or maybe you just need to say to yourself, the color red is my color. And when I see the color red, I reflect on something I'm proud of that I want to reproduce and something I would like to eliminate. Or like, it's about finding your fit of all of this. So some people are going to do really well with a set time of day that they do this. Some people are going to do well with saying like, when I go for my runs, I'll think about this. Some people are going to do well by saying, I'm going to have a conversation about it with my, with my, my spouse or my significant other. Um, but knowing that it, whatever you, whatever you decide, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Like it does take practice and time. And if you fall off the horse, you just like course correct and get yourself back on. Mm. With um, people, one, one thing I'm always interested in, because there's kind of different levels, isn't there? There's a the person who's not exercising at all. And then there's the person who kind of comes and goes. And then, you know, then you have a consistent exerciser, but then you get that person who's thriving, um, you know, who's just in all the best that exercise can offer. What do you think it helps to get someone to that place? Time, practice, grace on yourself. I think that, you know, what is one person's thriving is very different from another person's thriving. And that's the key. Like you just have to. So in Finding Your Fit, I talk about four different fitness personalities, the gym bunny, the competitive bunny, the home bunny, and the busy multitasker. Um, so busy multitaskers, you know, you might walk on conference calls or you might go and watch your kids play soccer and on the sideline do squats and lunges. You take your dog for the walk, you garden, that kind of stuff, right? Um, you know, gym bunny, you go to the gym, home bunny, you work out at home. But so the idea is that what, what is going to make you thrive? You have to figure that out for you. Like my dad plays hockey. He loves that. My mom gardens and does yoga. She loves that. Mm. Um, you know, one time I took my mom to a spin class that I was teaching. She got off the bike and she looked at me and she goes, Kathleen, I love you more than anything. But if you ever try to make me do a spin class again, I will own you. Right. <laughs> so if I said to her mom, the only way you can thrive is if you did five spin classes a week, guess what? She would say, screw you. I'd rather be unfit than do that. Whereas if you told me that I had to do yoga six days a week for like, she does about an hour of yoga and gardening, then I would tell you to screw yourself. Like I like yoga, but I like like 15 minutes of yoga. Mm -hmm. I'd use the Peloton yoga app um, after I'm done my runs. So I don't know. I'm thriving because I've figured out what works for me and I've given myself the grace to know that it's going to change. Like in my twenties, I did Ironmans and marathons. Now I'm in my thirties and I, I run and I bike, but not to that extent. I do Pilates. 
you know, but it's, it, it works for me in this time because there's only so much time in the day. And I opened my own studio in my thirties and I was like, you know what? I'm not, I don't want to prioritize biking for six hours on a Sunday anymore. And I don't need to, if I don't like, it doesn't, that's, there's not one version of fit. There's not one version of thriving. Mm. What, what do you see as um, some of the bigger problems for the industry as a whole? Um, I'm th- the shame thing. The, the, the thing that like selling fitness on that you have to find the perfect workout or the perfect diet um, and that the fitness guru knows and you don't know uh, and that you are not good enough unless you follow these programs and then everyone will kind of like you better if you're, if you're following you know, somebody else's prescription, um, instead of thriving in your lane and figuring out what works for you, I talk about it as figuring out your nutrition mix, your workout mix, mm-hmm. your mindset mix. So like the best, the, the, the pros of different, um, programs that kind of work for you. I don't know. What about you? Like, what do you think makes somebody thrive and, and is the problem with the fitness world? Oh, I, I totally agree with the, the, the what gets sold. But the, the, unfortunately as well, is people reward that message. So, so, so like the market rewards being sold the wrong thing. Uh, so for fitness professional, it's, it's much harder to sell the idea of sustainable, healthy habits for the long term, you know. Absolutely. Of, you it, know. Yeah. They're not as sexy. That sort of like sustainable habits yeah. is not as sexy as the like, I got the perfect program for you for a month and then you'll be fit. But the problem is, is you do the program for the month. You then have to keep doing stuff. Like you don't do a program no. for a month and then you're not fit forever. Like this is a lifelong game. It's a problem of privilege. Like when you're dead, then you can be unfit, right? Like yeah. it's like you're alive. You got to be working out and putting food in your mouth and, and, I don't know. Like we're the, I think, I don't know. We're on it. Like the other thing I think that I always tell my clients is like, you're on a diet or a workout program, regardless whether you're doing it consciously or not. And I think maybe that's a thing that's sold to people that it's like, well, when you buy the book and you do the program, you're on a diet and it's like, well, no, you're either unconsciously eating a bunch of food that you're not aware of. You're still on a diet, like as in you're still putting stuff in your mouth. And if you're sitting and watching Netflix for 24 hours a day, you're still, that's your workout program. Your workout program is just sitting watching Netflix. Like we're all on an activity program and all on an eating program. It's whether you decide to do it consciously and with intention and do the things that are going to be best for you, or you decide to become unconscious and make habits by default versus design, right? Like, but it's there, you're doing it anyway. So it's not that you're either that you're on a diet, like you're just, yeah, it's like, I don't know, that's sold. That frustrates me as well. That idea of like, oh, well, if you do this book, then you're on a diet. And it's like, well, no, like we're always eating. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really I've been thinking about a lot lately is this idea of when do people allow themselves to trust themselves? Because, like, you know, like I live in a world, you know, my world is pretty much everyone and it's fit. Um, now I've got, a lot, I've got a business that develops people who aren't fit, but, um, but generally speaking, my friends and family are all pretty fit. And I know people who are healthy, really healthy, but they doubt themselves. And, it's, and I always find that fascinating as well. When's the moment where you allow yourself to trust yourself? Because evidence shows. You should trust yourself. You're in a yeah. healthy weight range. You know how to exercise. You eat pretty healthy. Um, if we look at the evidence of your actions in your life, you should just go, I trust myself. And right. like, that's the thing for me. Like, I'm never going to be the guy who is 150 kg because I trust myself. I know how to manage that side of my life. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I was speaking to a lady, one of her, I've got a lady who runs with us. And she's run for us for a long time. Um, but she, she always doubts herself around exercise. And I kind of challenged her. I said, well, why don't like if I look at your evidence, it shows you can trust yourself. You know, like if you if you miss a day, I know you'll know how to get back the next day. You're not going to yeah. totally stop exercise. And she came back to me. She said there was such an important message for her because it let it remove so much pressure off herself because she kind of totally. realized I am an exerciser and actually mm-hmm. I don't need to doubt myself. Actually, I can't just trust it. I can have a day off and it doesn't mean the end of the world. And right. yeah, you know, and I think for a lot of people out there, there's definitely a lot of people who need behavior change. But for a lot of people, they're actually doing pretty great. And a big part of it is just to allow yourself to trust yourself with it. Yeah. So I think that's super interesting. And that's actually something that I talk about with my therapist a lot, with for myself. Mm. So I think I have two comments. And you said, you use a phrase, when is the moment that you trust yourself? Mm. And I think that that is actually... I don't think there is a moment. I think that with everything to do with health and fitness, it's all a progression. And I think you start to trust yourself more and doubt yourself less, but I don't think there ever is just like, there's no moment where you get fit or moment. Like it's 
all these little drops in a bucket and it's all about trending in the right direction. So one of the problems with me and one of the reasons why I'm still in therapy is that I still, after 20 years of being this newer version of Kathleen, I still have a hard time trusting that I'm not going to go back to that like 15 year old self Kathleen, right? I really do. And so when I'm too hard on myself, like unproductively so, it's because I'm scared of going back to that, like that older version of Kathleen. Now, each year I become less scared and intellectually I understand that I need to, I need to trust myself if only because, um, like even if I fell off the wagon for like a week, that still doesn't make me my old Kathleen. Like it's, you know, I've been on this journey for 20 years so it's more helpful to trust myself. But I have to say that it's it's hard, but it just gets less hard. Like it's sort of what we talked about with the self-talk stuff. Like it just softens, like the fear softens. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that there's ever, I don't think that's how human beings ever work, that it's you're either one or the other. Like I think those binaries don't exist. And I think that's part of what makes the fitness hard for people because they think either I'm fit or I'm unfit. Either I'm on my path or I'm not on my path. Mm. Um, and I just, I don't think that that's how it works. I think that we trend in the right direction and I am much more on my path than I used to be. And if I fall off my path, I'm much better at course correcting. Um, and all the demons are much softer in my head now, but I think that's what it is. It's like your good days become better days and more consistently better and your bad days become like bad moments. Um, and when you fall off your horse with either your thought patterns or your actions, you can course correct much faster. Um, but I think that we all have doubtful moments and that's, I think what makes us human. Like that's what connects us all to each other, that none of us are perfect and all of us are on the struggle bus in some way. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I will challenge it slightly because I actually have moved on from that. Um, because I was like you, so like for me, mm-hmm. my story is I was academically like I was basically just mm-hmm. had nothing going for me. Um, and then I found fitness, and like you, got a lot of recognition, a lot of prestige, and a lot of and so I lived in my place where I had just to do more exercise all the time. Um, and then I woke up in a place where I was just very one dimensional in a very dangerous place. Mm-hmm. And then I realized I needed to develop more strands to myself. And mm-hmm. so, and so there was always a fear of what if I can't exercise? And so, like I think I went like six years without a rest day, you know, and I was doing six hours mm-hmm. a day kind of stuff. And so, um, whereas now I don't have that at all. I do trust. Right. That, yeah, I don't. I don't have a fear of um, what if I can't exercise because I know I will, and I know that no matter what the circumstance comes in front of me, I'll be able to change with it. Um, and so I, I don't, that, well, that, that fear is, doesn't present itself anymore and it doesn't drive me anymore, um, which, is, which, is, which is interesting. I just, it was just interesting because I do have that trust in my, and I think it's partly because I developed more sides of myself. So Totally. Yeah, I guess I wasn't saying that all of our self-doubt are in the same, um, like in that way, you are probably farther along your process than me, which is awesome. I hope one day to get to that point yeah, that you are yeah, at, like I'm yeah. in awe of that. Yeah, I will. Totally. I will. I'm just not there yet. But my point wasn't so much that we're, my point is more that in some aspects of all of our development, we're at different paths. So yeah. you might be farther along on that path and maybe all of your self-doubt has completely softened in a way that it's such a whisper that you never, you don't even hear it anymore, which is fantastic. But I, I guess what I try to instill in my clients is that in some way we are all struggling with something. So there's something oh, yeah, probably totally. that I am not struggling with that you are. And I don't know what that is. Well, no, no, no. no some some way, I definitely have self-doubt. Like as a musician, I play music. Um, and I live in self-doubt with music, right. you know, Again, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know and, a, that was more my point that yeah. like, that I think that when we think that there is this perfect mastery to every, anything, and then like, I will be fit when I get to, you know, Kathleen's version of fit or mm. your version of fit or my favorite celebrity's version of fit, it stops you from trying. Cause it's like, well, if I'm not, I'm never going to be them. So why even try? And so yeah. my message to everybody is just to understand that we're all human and that's great that you, your inner demons on this particular issue has softened so much you don't hear them anymore. I hope, as I said, I hope one day mine will. Um, but I think we all have demons of some sort that are there and that the goal is not to think I have to get rid of them to start or get rid of them yeah. to be healthy. That yeah, I just have to 
work with them. I guess that's my point. Just work with whatever anybody's listening, like whatever they are struggling with, whatever struggle bus they're still on, whatever hasn't softened yet for them, that's okay. Like have compassion with yourself and know that just because you're struggling doesn't mean you don't go for a walk. Doesn't mean you don't have a glass of water. Doesn't mean, you know, if whatever is your struggle bus, like just because, you know, you said you're struggling with music. That doesn't mean you stop with the music. No, it's totally not. Yeah. And you give yourself some grace. But I think a lot of people, that's what happens to them, right? They're on a struggle bus of some sort. They're having these thoughts. They've been trying to get fit. They're still having doubt, self-doubt about their fitness. Um, and then they're like, oh, well, you know, if I'm feeling this doubt, I, I should just stop. Like, I'm never going to be fit. And it's like, well, no, we all have doubt. We are all on a struggle bus of something. And one thing that's really important, to, and I've had this with music, because I'm an adult pianist, so I started as an adult, so I didn't have that kind of musical child background um i love it i I work really hard like i'm a very disciplined person so i'll play for an hour every day um but i you know i definitely live in that kind of self-doubt but then the problem that you miss out on if you quit is like recently i've had one of those moments where i've realized i've got better you know like Mm. i just you know like i'm playing songs that are much more harder than what i used to play i go back to old songs i used to play and they seem really i've just made that step up to that next level and it's really obvious and it's the best feeling yeah, um, totally. And, and, and I would have never have had that if I just let self doubt restrict me and, and limit me and try. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 One of my favorite quotes is that the hero and the coward both have the same emotions, they just take different actions. Oh, nice. um, and with everything, right? Like, and that's what I say to myself. If I have, if my self-doubt comes up, like, oh my God, you shouldn't take a day off because then you'll just be turned into old Kathleen. I think, nope, thanks for that thought. Not useful. I'm still taking my day off, right? Like mm. I, in that, you know, I can have that thought just like the coward can, or the hero can have cowardly thoughts, but they still take the hero action, yeah. right? And and so that's the, that's a key message for anybody listening. Um, that just because you have a thought doesn't mean you have to act on it. And just because you are afraid or, or feel like you're reverting back to your old self or whatever it is, take the next right action. Like take the action that your future self will be proud of, even though it's not necessarily the action that you th- you automatically think you should take. Just, uh, just a question here. When someone's choosing a fitness professional, what should they be looking for? Oh, excellent question. Um well, experience in the field, um, not like some type of certification for sure, uh, insurance for sure. Um, I would look for referrals, like, you know, any one of my clients at any moment would be happy to write, you know, a page long referral for me. I think that speaks, um, volumes, um, but an ability to listen. Like I think too often with fitness professionals is you go with it and you say, you know, my story is X, Y, and Z. And then the fitness professional trains you from their story. They're like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I'm a triathlete, so you should also be a triathlete or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Um, so I think a fitness professional who's able to step back and say, like, I might be the expert in health and fitness, but you are the expert in your life and your body. So tell me about yourself. And then we work together as a team. I think that open dialogue is really key. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they have to have the knowledge. I mean, that's like the, the, the most basic, the baseline is like they have to have knowledge because so they don't injure you um and then i think asking them to speak to some of their clients see what they're like as a trainer and you know do a couple test sessions because somebody can be an amazing trainer or amazing nutrition coach and you just don't vibe with them sort of similar to therapy right like i love my therapist um and i've been with her for like 20 years but i had therapists before her that just weren't helpful i didn't jive with them like they just didn't do me any good i don't think they hurt me necessarily but i think part of it is just finding your fit of trainer a fitness professional Hmm. um just anything else you want to add Oh, anything else I want to add? I don't know. Just go out there and try things and be curious. And, you know, you can try something like a Zumba class. And if you don't like it, that's fine. Or you can try running. And if you don't like it, that's fine. But you got to try because you don't know what you like until you try it. Mm. Uh, And the only thing we didn't talk about is just this idea of setting your future self up for success. So setting up systems like that's one of my big things with clients is, um, hope is not a strategy, right? Like you can't wish your way to fitness. Yeah. Uh, and too many of us do that. We're like, oh yeah, on Monday I'll be fit or on January 1st I'll get fit. So, you know, really take the time to think when will, like 
what are the when like when will I work out? What will I do? How long will it take? What are the accommodations I need to make? Like, do I need to get childcare? Um, and what are the systems that are going to set my future less motivated, more sad, more depressed self up for success? Like, do you need to have a fitness buddy? Do you need to pay for some type of online training? Do you need an accountability buddy? What do you do? You need to get rid of all the fudge bars from your house. Like, what do you need for your future self to be successful? Because you can't just hope your way fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a big, big, big thing with fitness. And, and if we go back to what we talked about earlier is if, if you can make one step from today's conversation is make the commitment to, to that time, you know, yes. to, you know, to do the work because it's like nothing, an idea never happens unless you apply it. And so, yeah. you know, you need to give yourself the time. Like if you're listening to this and you're going, well, Kathleen's speaking sense to me here. Well, it's one thing just to think that's a cool podcast, but to actually to apply it and you need to give commit time to yourself in your life to be able to do that. Absolutely time to yourself and something now that will that will make you healthier meaning now is the only moment you have direct control over so it's really easy to say tomorrow I'll work out but tomorrow will always be just tomorrow so as you finish this podcast be like okay can I drink a glass of water can I set an alarm to make sure I get to sleep at a good time tonight can I say to my husband or wife or kids you know let's do a, a fitness podcast you know there's like free things all online like the fitness marshals like a dancing pod thing that we have in here um, you know that's free you can just dance as a par- as a family uh, but do something in this moment even if it's just taking your schedule out and planning your workouts for the week but this is the moment you have control over so use it to create the fitter future you that you want to be. So you've got two books. You've got Finding Your Fit. You've got Your Fittest Future Self. Uh, tell us, you've also got a course coming out. Tell us the website where people find you and so on. Yeah, my website is kathleentrotter.com. And um, yeah, you can go on there for all of the information about my books. Um, I have I do an online coaching. It's a five-week course. It's called Kick Your Ass with Compassion. Um, so that the next one I think starts May 7th, but it's all on my website. Um, it's five weeks. Yeah. And you can always get hold of me. I'm on all the socials fit by Kathleen T on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And I'm always posting fun things and I love hearing from people. So if you have questions or comments about the podcast, just, you know, message me through any of my various social media sites. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Right, our team. So there is our interview of Kathleen Trotter. Again, if you want to check out Kathleen's work, she's got her books, she's got her new course, Kick Ass with Compassion. I also went on her on her uh, website today, and she's doing some stuff around the COVID stuff as well, getting people active in that as well. So you can, I'll put a link to her website. Her book is Finding Your Fit: A Compassionate Trainer's Guide to Making Fitness a Lifelong Habit, and then Your Fittest Future Self: Making Choices Today for a Happier, Healthier Future. Fitter future you, um, but I'll I'll put a link to her website and her books. You can get them on all the top book sites. Also, her new course is called Kicking Ass with Compassion. I think the next one's starting in about two weeks from now, so you can check that out as well. Um, just a really good interview. I just she's one of those people I could talk to hours for because she's got so much insight. And the thing I love about Kathleen is that she's been there, done that, worked through her own journey, but also more importantly, has helped other people in their journey. Um, I'm kind of creating a course right now, and one thing I'm talking about is how to pick a right mentor. And picking a right mentor is such an important thing. And I kind of break it down to three different categories. There's the person who's read the book and thinks they know it all. Um, And I know I've been that person in my past. Like I remember when I first um, started investing, I read a couple books on investing, and I thought I was an expert, and I haven't even invested one dollar of my, my money at all <laughs> so, so so i'd give give people advice on some books that i read but i had no real experience uh, so those you've got to be careful of those people because there's plenty of those people out there and, and hey i've been them myself uh, and then secondly it's the person who has knowledge book and been successful and it's that's the person who maybe is the investor who's read the books but also done some investing and learnt some lessons along the way and that's that's a good mentor to get but the greatest mentor to get is the person who has the knowledge, has been there and done that, but more importantly, has helped other people be there and do that, has helped other people achieve the goals that they want to achieve. Because it's one thing to self-motivate yourself, but to teach other people to actually create change in their life is a completely different skill. And it's the really interesting thing when you watch somebody who's been there and done that themselves, often when they try to help other people 
they're not that successful at it. And a really good example of that is a great athlete who does is not a great coach. Um, I'm reading Michael Jordan's book right now, a really good book called, I know the documentary's coming out on Netflix, but there's a the book called Playing for Keeps, which I'm reading, and it's really interesting. And I'm talking about Larry Bird. Larry Bird is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But he wasn't a very successful coach, and they were talking about how, you know, a lot of these guys who are the greatest players don't really know how to translate that into people helping other people. And, you know, and I think that's a really interesting thing to think about isn't it is that just because you've done it doesn't mean you know how to help others and when it comes to choosing great mentors in your life ideally you do want someone who's got that experience and been there and done that because there's lessons you learn from experience but you want to look for people who have had that ability to help other people get the results that they desire so so important um so you can check out kathleen's work again i'll put all the all the links to her work in the show notes for the show at bevanjamesisles.com uh that's pretty much it for this week if you want to check out uh my facebook page bevan james Isles on facebook my instagram is the same uh, if you want to run 5ks with me i can get you to run 5ks that is my 5kdream.com it's an online course that has everything that helps you to run 5ks um yeah just look after yourself right now guys look after yourself look after yourself and your peeps and yeah keep being you i'll see you guys in a couple weeks time